All right, grab your Bibles and let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Absolutely beautiful. Hard to follow that. She sings better than me, but my Christmas clothes are better than hers. So <laughs> That's pretty cute, though. Somebody said, I don't know about that over here, so... I want to invite you to open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we'll get there in just a moment. Here's what we've discovered so far in our study through this first chapter of the book of Ephesians. Those that are in Christ are saints. It means that you have been set apart, you've been taken out of this world, and you have been placed in Christ. Those who are in Christ, not only are they saints, they have been chosen God chose you before the foundation of the world. He adopted us to be His children. He set us aside so that we might be holy and blameless before Him. Those of us who are in Christ are, are forgiven. It means our justification is behind us. In Christ, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. So our justification is behind us, but our sanctification is ongoing. And so, in Christ, we are being saved from the power of sin. So, justification behind us, sanctification is ongoing, and then the glorification is yet to come. In Christ, we will be saved forever from the presence of sin. And then those who are in Christ are an heir, an heir to the King of Kings, and our inheritance is in a, a single word, our inheritance is heaven. Heaven is the sum total of all that God has done in and through salvation. God gives us this inheritance so that we might live forever as a perfect demonstration of His glory. Today, we're going to discover that those who are in Christ have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so we're in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. It says, In Him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right there in those two verses, the entire process of salvation is given. And so we'd better examine it carefully. After all, these two verses tell us how a sinner becomes a saint. And so first of all, notice it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth. So the first step that's necessary to make that transition from being a sinner into a saint is the hearing of the word of God. And so this is the, the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that He was buried and that He rose again. In fact, Paul summarizes the good news in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'd like to read a portion of it for you this morning. It's found in verses 1 through 9. And just listen as I read this, because I'm going to read this to you out of the New Living Translation. And notice what it says. It says, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. 
Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. It says, I passed on to you what was the most important and what has been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as Scriptures said. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way that I persecuted God's church. This whole good news Paul beautifully summarizes when he says that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scriptures said. And so, when Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus, he's writing to them, and they know that they have responded to this good news, and having first heard the good news, the second part that's necessary is not just the hearing of the good news, but it's the believing in the good news. So having heard the good news, they now believed in that news. This is the pattern that follows from what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, it reveals God's plan for evangelism. Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 15 Pay attention as I read. It says, for, for Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down to earth, and don't say who will go down to the place of the dead, that is to bring Christ back to life. Verse 8 says, in fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and it's in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preached. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can we call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the Scriptures says, uh, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. And so, hearing of the Word is necessary in order for one to believe in the Word. And so before someone can believe the Word, they have to hear the Word. And before someone can hear the Word, someone has to be willing to share the Word with them. And that's God's calling on all of our lives, those that believe in Him. We're all to be messengers of the good news. And so when the Ephesians believed, when 
you believed in the good news, the beautiful thing happened. Once you believed, you were now sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so go back to Ephesians chapter 1. It says in verse number 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, then the phrase says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I want to kind of walk you through why this is so significant or why it's so important for us to understand uh, what it means to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. So let me give you a couple of ideas. First of all, this sealing implies ownership. God puts His seal on us because He's purchased us as His very own. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says to run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. So this sealing of the Holy Spirit is God's way of signifying that He owns us. That we belong to Him. And so not only does it imply ownership, it also means security and protection. Uh, think about it this way. The, the Romans, when they buried our Lord and they placed Him in the tomb, they sealed the tomb. They, they sealed the tomb as a, as a sign of, of strength and, and protection that they were guarding the contents within that tomb. So why Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 27, it says that the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what the deceiver once said while he was still, still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we re request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone that he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. And Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. So, so when Scripture tells us that those of us who are in Christ have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, then, then we know that that, that sealing implies ownership. It also signifies security and protection. But then thirdly, uh, this sealing of the Holy Spirit is a mark of authenticity. It means it's legitimate. In ancient times, uh, letters would often be sealed. And what they would do to seal a letter is that they would melt wax upon that letter, and then they would wear a signet ring, and then they would impress that signet ring into the melted wax that would seal the contents of the letter. And so that ring pressed into that wax gave a, a mark that the contents was authentic. It comes from the, the original source. It can't be trusted, if you will. And so this word or this practice makes me think of the practice of uh, branding cattle. 
And think about it, each year when, when range cattle are, are rounded up, uh, cowboys and, and ranch hands, they heat their, their branding iron and they sear the owner's mark in, in, into the cattle. And so from, from that moment on, ownership is revealed by the brand that's in their hide. And that's what's kind of being signified here with the sealing of the Holy Spirit. As believers, those that are in Christ, you have been branded by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Then it says, anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the, the possession of the Holy Spirit in your life is a mark of authenticity that you belong to God. So it's not simply a, a, a lip profession. It's not about religious activities. It's not about the amount of good works that you might do. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes our profession to be a believer authentic and true. So if you just talk about it, but you don't possess the Holy Spirit in your life, then that talk is just empty talk. The Holy Spirit is the evidence by which it marks it genuine that you belong to Him. And so according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit abides within the believer forever. Forever. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, from uh, the world, I'm sorry, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus' promise to the believers is that the Holy Spirit will dwell with them and in them so so let me just be clear for a believer the holy spirit isn't something that comes and goes into your life either you're a child of god and you possess the holy spirit god has given that to you or you're not the holy spirit doesn't come and go in and out of life that's not the way it works now it is very possible that through your actions, your attitudes, your conduct, that you can grieve the Holy Spirit, but it's not possible for the Holy Spirit to abandon you. In fact, since you have your Bibles open still in Ephesians chapter 1, go ahead and turn a couple pages to chapter 4. Let me just show you what Scripture has to say about that. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll pick up in verse number 25. It says, therefore, uh, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, 
So there it is. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So while it is possible that we can grieve the Holy Spirit and lose the blessings of His ministry, it is not possible for the Holy Spirit to leave or abandon us. So the Holy Spirit is not only the fulfillment of God's promise to indwell us, but it's also the guarantee that He will bring those who are in Christ into their final inheritance. That's why in chapter 4, go back, look at verse number 30 again. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Or, or see it maybe more clearly, go back to chapter 1. Verse number 14 says that who is the guarantee? Who is the Holy Spirit? So the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, so in other words, we have no need to be anxious about the future. Those of us that are in Christ, we know who we are. Not only do we know who we are, we know where we're going. So we know who we are, and we know who we're going, and and we realize that we have an appointment with destiny. God has given us a guarantee on the riches to come, and that guarantee, in order for that inheritance to be there, the guarantee that He gave us as a promise of that inheritance is the Holy Spirit. Let me break it down for you this way. The Greek word that's used here, guarantee, is a word from which we get our word like earnest or or earnest or an escrow account. And so when you buy a piece of property, you deposit earnest money into an escrow account. In other words, the amount of the deposit that you put on that potential property is large enough to convince the seller that you are earnest about the purchase, that you're serious, you're legitimate. So it's a guarantee that your word is good. Isn't that beautiful? That's what the Holy Spirit is. It's the guarantee that God's word is good, that is going to come true in our lives. And so in the Greek, this word can mean earnest money. But, but it can also, and truthfully, it's probably more so in modern Greek, this word can also mean engagement ring. And I love this because the Holy Spirit is, in effect, our engagement ring that shows the world that we belong to God until our wedding day, until the day that He calls us to be with Him forever. So our great confidence is this. Unlike most people, God never breaks His promises. He's faithful and true always and in all ways. He's the bridegroom. And his church is the bride. And we know that he will come and claim his bride because he's given us his promise. He's given us his his spirit as an escrow account or as the engagement ring to, to signify that I'm going to deliver on the promises that I have made to you. So, so if you're in Christ, then, then you belong to him. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, what greater assurance could someone need in their lives? I mean, go back to the, the final phrase of, of verse number 14. Let me show you this. The final phrase is to the praise of His glory. This is the third time that we've seen this phrase in chapter 1. The first time is back up in, in verse number 6. There we see that God has predestined and adopted us. He's making us holy to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse number 12 reveals that He has given us our inheritance to the praise of His glory. And then here in verse number 14, it says that He has made us His own possession to the praise of His glory. God has given every blessing to us, not solely for us to enjoy the gifts, but also so that we may praise and glorify the gift giver. And, and that means all aspects of our lives should be lived in such a way that we're praising and we're giving glory to God. And so if you're in Christ, then, then praise be to God that you've been set apart. You have been set apart. You've been taken out of this world and you have been placed in Christ. And so you're set apart. You're a saint. If you're in Christ, then God has chosen you. Scripture says that He chose you before the foundation of the world. That means you were adopted into the family of God so that you might be holy and blameless before Him. And that's beautiful. If you're in Christ, then you've been redeemed. Not only have you been redeemed, you've been forgiven. Forgiven of the debt that your sin deserves. So, so we have redemption and we have forgiveness for those that are in Christ. If you're in Christ, then, then, then He has reserved and is currently preserving your inheritance. And that's a beautiful reality. And if that's not enough, then if you're in Christ, then you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. I mean, he, 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 he's, he's saying, man, trust me. I've got you. Don't get discouraged. Don't get frustrated. Don't quit and walk away. I've got you. What, what you're going to experience in this world, in this lifetime, pales in confusion comparison to what awaits you in glory the greatest gift given to mankind was a costly gift offered by god the father requiring him to abandon his own son to pour out his wrath upon his boy what we deserve, He placed on Him. As we move into Christmas, our, our hearts and our, and our minds and our attention should be focused on the right thing. The whole reason we, we're to gather at Christmas is to reflect and give thanks to God for His Son. It is a celebration about the birth of Jesus. Now, I, I recognize and maybe... You do, maybe you don't. Jesus wasn't born December 25th. I get that. It is an adapt, adaption of a, a pagan holiday, and there's all this, but, but it, it, it's a beautiful time for us to set aside every year to give thanks to God for sending His Son. 
And then we'll gather in the spring and then we'll give thanks to God that this son started in the manger and gave his life on the cross. But it all starts with an innocent child being born into this world. The humility that Jesus took in order for him to leave his exalted position in heaven as a recipient of, of praise and honor and glory, in order for him to leave that and walk away from that to be subjected to just the hatefulness and the cruelness of this world, to be despised, to be rejected, to be brutalized, to be murdered on a cross from his own creation. I don't think our minds will ever fully be able to comprehend just how great the love of the Father is for us. So as we move towards Christmas, as you do all of your things that you're going to do today and the days to come, man, celebrate, enjoy the time with family, do your traditions, but may you never forget what it is that we're truly to celebrate. It's all about Jesus. And if it's not about Jesus for you in your life, then you're missing the point. You have the emptiness of gift after gift, and those gifts will not bring you any joy, any satisfaction, any peace, because the only peace that you can ever have in your life is found in and through Jesus Christ, and that's it. So may you receive God's gift of forgiveness and redemption into your life. Having heard the truth, may you believe in the truth. May you submit and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And I can think of no better way for us to celebrate and to continue our worship by partaking of communion together. As we gather together to, to worship and to praise God, one of the beautiful elements that, that God given us is this act of worship through taking of the bread and drinking of the juice as a, as a connection to Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do in just a moment, we're going to have our deacons and the spouses, or they're going to come up and they're going to help me. We're going to get these trays. We're going to get them ready. We're going to have some deacons that are going to be here in the front with their spouse. And the one's going to have the, the cups, and the other one's going to have the bread. And, and we're going to have a couple of that are going to be in the back. So as we go through this time of worship, and, and if you want to partake of of communion then you can either come to somebody in the front or you can go to somebody in the back if you're there and you're limited in mobility and it's hard for you to get in and out and you want to partake of this hey that's great we want you to we'll bring it to you right so if that's you just raise your hand where you're at and we have a deacon and a spouse and they're going to come and they're going to bring you the elements and so here here's the thing who can partake of this well this is open to first and foremost children of God. So if, you're, if you believe in, in Him and you're a believer, then you're invited to give consideration to your participation. The other element that you need to be aware of is that you need to be sure that you take this in a worthy manner. So if you're a believer who has open sin or, or unconfessed or unrepented sin in your life, I would caution you not to take of this. In fact, I would highly encourage you to, to do what's necessary in order for you to get right with God right now, right here. So a time of confession, a time of asking for forgiveness, and then after that, then come and, and, and take. But we don't limit communion to just church members. No, we, we, we limit it to those that belong to, to God through faith in Jesus. And then we put the caution on there 
to make sure that you do it in a worthy manner. And that's what Scripture would tell us to do as well. And so what I'd like for, to do for us is i like to pray as the deacons and the spouses are coming forward. Let me just spend a, a couple moments in prayer. And we'll have some music playing, and then you'll be invited to come and to take communion. And in fact, let me just read you a portion of the Scriptures, if I could. And, and this is why we do what we do. And I'll read it this time out of Mark. Mark chapter 14 says, in the beginning of verse number 22, says that as they were eating, this is on the night that he was betrayed, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And then he took his, the cup, and when they had given thanks, and he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Deacons, spouses, you should be moving at this point. Come join me, please. Everyone else, let me encourage you. Let's pray. Let's spend some time before the Father. Father, we thank you so much for your love. God, we thank you for your grace, the forgiveness that you offer us. God, help us to live a life that truly reflects just how gracious we are. And Father, as we participate in communion today, we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made. God, we thank you for the great humility that it took for him to leave heaven to come to earth. God, my prayer through this whole message series is that we, as your children, that we would have a better understanding of our identity in you. Far too often, Father, I realize that we're too prone to be affected about the opinions of other people when the driving force in our lives needs to be what you have to say about us and what you have to say to us. So help us to be clear in our understanding, Father. God, who but an ingrate would withhold praise and glory to you for all that you have done for us? And specifically today for, for the promised Holy Spirit in our lives. God, may we fully submit to the Holy Spirit working in our lives. May your Spirit guide us in, in what to do and, and how to do it. May your Spirit convict us in, in, in identifying when we do things wrong or when we fail to do things right. In this moment, Father, us to worship you fully. Thank you for the ordinance of communion. Thank you for this church. Pray that you are blessed by what you see in our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.